Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So uh, I want to get out of my comfort zone just a little bit and talk about some issues over the next few weeks that, uh, that I think need to be addressed in church. And I don't know that we've addressed them near enough, enough in church. And then sometimes when we do address it, we end up making you feel worse <laughs> than you did before you heard the message. So for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about mental health. And I got to be honest with you, I never be, I never expected to be one that would have a breakdown. And uh, I typed that sentence literally months ago, and I just sat and looked at it. And I looked at it, and, and honestly, I, what I thought was, I got to change, I got to change, I got to change that. Like, you know, breakdown, you know, there's no easy out with breakdown. And so, you know, when you say breakdown, it sounds like you were weak. It sounds like, you know, that you, you weren't spiritual enough, that you didn't have what it would take, even as a follower of Jesus, to be able to navigate, you know, the difficult times of life that we all go through at times. And so, and for years, I didn't use the word breakdown. I used the word burnout. Burnout's better. Burnout's a lot better. And, and so for burnout, it just means I was strong. I just worked too hard. I just worked too many hours. And so I, you have an out with, you know, burnout, right? You know, and so you feel a little bit better about yourself. I just worked too hard. I worked and 80 hours a week, you know. I, I worked 90 hours a week. And so that was the reason. And so I was strong. I just worked too much. I mean, literally with breakdown, you got nothing. It just sounds like I was weak. And on the outside, most people, and I say most people, and I mean most people, they didn't know. They didn't know that I was struggling. And they didn't know I was struggling because I still showed up to do what I do. I still showed up every week to preach. Now, what you don't know is I would walk across this stage so many weeks. I would walk across this stage, my little notebook in my hand, and I literally would think, I can't, I can't do this today. I don't have it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy. I mean, literally there were days when I, I'm, I was thinking, I don't know if I believe what I'm fixing to say. And I would open up my little notebook, and then I would start, and it would be like somebody supernaturally would hit this switch, and then this thing would happen. And at the end of the message, we'd give an invitation. And back in the day, sometimes I would do a look up if you just prayed that prayer for salvation or, or raise your hand. And I remember very distinctly one day, 35 people accepted Christ. That was in one service. We, do, we still were doing two back in the day. And I would stand here in total amazement and think, I don't even know how this is possible. How could you possibly use somebody like me? I still let our staff to the best of my ability. I still, I still counseled with people. Now, that was a mess. I think sometimes when we were done, I would say, how much do I owe you? Because I think you counsel with me. 
<laughs> more than I counsel with you. And some people never came back. They said, he's a mess. Maybe you should see a doctor, Pastor. My marriage was good. My marriage has always been good. My relationship with my girls was good. In fact, I w I've said it so many times that it was during those super, super dark days that my girls, I, I don't know how, but they still looked at me. They still made me feel like I was their hero. And maybe on the outside, everything looked good, but on the inside, there was nothing but, I'm not really comfortable with these words either, fear. I was so fearful. How, do you, how can you be fearful and be a pastor? How can you be fearful and be a Christian? And then it was just anxiety every day. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about where outwardly you're still showing up you're still smiling you're still going to work every day you know most people maybe don't even know and that bothers you just a little bit if we're honest right it bothers you just a little bit that somehow the people that say they're your friends they can't look and see the pain in your eyes and and sometimes you feel like you're screaming to some degree you don't use words but there's that thing that you just say can't you can't you see that I'm broken and I need help But on the inside, you're struggling with depression. Or, or maybe some kind of chronic anxiety. Or maybe you just feel stressed. And who are we kidding? We all feel stressed, right? I mean, that's the word that we use. Everybody uses that word. I'm stressed. Hey, you know I'm stressed. But I'm not talking about like maybe Monday morning kind of stress when you have to go back to work. Or maybe Monday through Friday when, when there's a lot of stress induced because of your job. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that even on, even on Friday afternoon when you get off work, even on, even on the ride home, you still feel stressed. Even on Saturday morning when there's really nothing to do or, or no big job, you don't have anything to perform for, you have anybody to perform for, and still, you still feel stressed, a constant, chronic kind of stress. And if that's you, then I have really good news for you. I got a verse for you. You ready? This is going to fix everything. It's going to fix it all. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. May God himself, huh, the God of peace. Wow. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. And isn't that enough? Doesn't that do it for you? Probably not. But I'm just saying that in the middle of depression and anxiety and stress, I think that what we want, I know what I wanted, I know what I wanted as a pastor was I didn't just want peace, I wanted peace from God. I didn't want peace from my circumstance, I didn't want peace from my, from my struggle. What I wanted for, what I was desperate for was I needed to feel the presence of God and the peace of God. That's what I wanted. So God saves you. He forgives you. He redeems you. He fills you with his power. Hello. He fills you with his power. 
Let's try that one more time. He fills you with his power. Yeah. He promised he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He promised that everything, everything, and everything that would work for the good for those who are called according to God's purpose, right? We know that all those things are true. But but it's incomplete. Okay, hang on. We're still incomplete. I know that there's some theologians out there that are saying, oh, that's not right. (laughs) Pastor, you don't know who you are in Jesus. You don't know what has happened to you in Christ, that you have been seated at the heavenly places with Christ. You don't understand that you've been given all the power that you'll ever need. You don't understand the relationship and the beauty of the relationship and the security of who you are as a believer to know that you're loved and you're cared for and nothing you'll ever be able to do will ever cause God to love you less than he does right now. And I would say you're exactly right. And maybe incomplete isn't the best choice of words, And I literally wrote this months ago, and I thought that eventually I'd come up with a better word. It's still all I got. So let me try to explain what I mean by incomplete before you get up and leave. Lock those doors. I'm just trying to say that just because Jesus saves you doesn't mean that he fixes every area of your life instantly. That's what I'm saying. We still live in these frail human bodies in an imperfect world, and being saved doesn't fix that. I mean, I've never, ever seen anybody that prayed the prayer of salvation, fully surrendered their lives to Jesus, you know, look down and go, dude, I got a six-pack of abs. I mean, whoo, this is awesome. Like, I had 50% body fat before I prayed the prayer, but after the prayer, look at me. And I used to wear big baggy shirts, and now I ain't wearing no shirt at all. And it's all because of Jesus. I've never heard anybody say, you know what? I checked my credit report after after that prayer of salvation. And you know what? I got a perfect score. I've got a thick head of hair and thinner thighs. I won the lottery. I've never heard that prayer. I've never heard anything remotely like that. In other words, just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean that all your problems are solved and all your infirmities. I still smile. I I broke that. I think, infirmities? Where did I come up with that? All your infirmities are healed. That's a preacher word, I guess. And it it doesn't mean that you instantly become mentally healthy. And let me just say this, and you need to hear me because I do believe in the power of God, and I believe in the power of God to heal. You have no earthly idea. I've experienced the physical healing power of God. I've experienced it. We've had miracles take place right in here. I'm not just talking about spiritually. I'm not just talking about emotionally. I'm not talking about psychologically. I literally, right back here, there's like, we sell that seat back there. A lady got healed of back issues. Now, it's, it's a spring well. I'm, I'm not kidding. It happened right here. I don't know which seat it is, but it's 100 bucks if you're sitting there. I'm And I, I didn't tell this the first service. You should have heard that lady telling me about her experience. <laughs> I can't tell you what she said. There was foul language everywhere. 
<laughs> and I said, welcome to Springwell. Glad, glad you're here. You know, I mean, it's awesome. But listen to me. She, she said, God healed me. I believe that God can do anything. He can heal anything, anytime he wants to. I do believe that. But just because Jesus came into your life because you fully surrendered your life to him doesn't mean that he will immediately fix everything. And I think this is so important that you understand. Your mental health, mm, please hear me, is not static. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. In other words, you know, maybe as a child, you never struggled. You never struggled with any kind of depression. You never struggled with any kind of anxiety. Maybe you went through your teenage years, and you know what? If it was ever going to happen to you, it would happen to you as a teenager, right? And, and yet, you know, you seem to be somewhat trouble-free. I remember, and, and Emily can testify to this, Katie, for years. Katie, people talk about stress, and that's my youngest daughter, and she'd say, what? I mean, literally, am I... It's the truth, isn't it, Emily? I mean, like, she never experienced stress. And I went, you know, a little stress would do you good, girl. <laughs> a little worry, uh, you know, would do you a little bit of good. But then there can be a traumatic event. There can be a traumatic loss. And maybe you went through your teenage years, maybe you went through your young adult years, but maybe you're somewhere in your 40s or your 50s, and maybe for the first time in your life, you began to struggle. You began to struggle. That traumatic event was just more than you could, than you could handle at that time. And you know what? Here's the thing I've learned is that that just perpetuates then more of a chemical imbalance. Check with your doctor on that. Don't take my word for it. And you find yourself in a place where you're struggling. Your mental health is not static. It just doesn't stay. It has the ability to move. Your mental health impacts how you think, which impacts how you feel, which impacts how you act. Your mental health determines how you handle stress and how you relate to people and, and how you make choices and how you bounce back from difficult situations or how you don't bounce back from difficult situations. I'm just trying to say that our mental health is, is a really, really super big deal. It's a big deal, and we don't talk about it near enough in church. And to be honest with you, I remember a pastor friend of mine. He was young and in the ministry, and he struggled with depression. And, and so one night in a deacon's meeting, he just shared with his deacons. He just decided to be open and honest about his struggle. And, and they, they, they debated whether or not they should call for his resignation, said that because he was struggling with depression, he was not fit to be their pastor. That's a true story. I don't know that the church has always done a great job of talking about these issues. In fact, I, I just know that somehow there was this myth that I grew up with. And I grew up with this myth, and somehow I brought it into church with me. And I'm not saying that every church teaches this or somehow implies this. I can only tell you of my experience. And that myth is this. Christians shouldn't struggle with mental health. They just shouldn't. And so the thought goes something like this. You're a Christian for Pete's sake. And because you've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. What happened? Man, y'all were with me a while ago. What happened? But that's the point, isn't it? 
because you've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, then there is no reason for you to battle with anxiety or depression or burnout. And so the obvious conclusion is that if you do, if you do, then it is your fault. It's not God's fault. And and it's your fault. And let's be honest, it's because you're just not enough. You're not enough. You're, You're not praying enough. And I remember thinking, I, I mean, I'm praying all the time. I feel like, I, I literally, I feel like I'm in a constant state of prayer. I wake up praying. I, I, I pray all through the day. I'm begging and pleading with God to somehow intervene and do something in my life. And, and then to, well, you know what? Maybe you're praying a lot, but you just don't know how to pray. So then you're not praying the right way. And I heard some preachers talk about, you know, how to pray. And it was almost like, you know, click your heels three times, throw a pinch of salt over your left shoulder. And if you really trust in God, So it's your fault. Well, that didn't help. Because you're just not spiritual enough. So what I want us to try to look at over the next few weeks is I want you to know that you can still love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you can still fight depression. Y'all with me? I want you to know that you can be in the Word, and I was in the Word you got to know, I was in the Word. As a pastor, I was in the Word. I mean, there, there would be Mondays that I would spend 12, 14. I've spent 16 hours in the Word. Every day in the Word. I want you to know that you can be in the Word and still struggle. Battle with anxiety. <clears throat> You can attend church faithfully, sit on the front row, lift your hands and worship, tithe. Did I say tithe? You can tithe. You, you know what? You can do more than just tithe. You can say, you know what, God, really 10%? That's nothing. <clears throat> Are y'all getting this yet? I'm just kidding. Karen and I felt that way. You just, that's how we feel. We, we've looked at our lives and we said, we so we're incredibly blessed. This is, I'm, really, there's no hair on this story. It's the truth. I would say, God, really, 10%? That's nothing. And so we decided a long time ago, this is the minimum requirement, and so we just want to give more. We want to we we give you an offering. We want to give more, and then we want to give to specific things. Because you know what, God? It's, it's so awesome what you've done in our lives. And then serve. And I remember when I was struggling so much, you know what? It was when I was probably working 70 and 80 hours a week. You know why? Because I kept thinking, if I'll just serve enough, I'm not doing enough. If I just do more, then maybe God somehow will show up and deliver me from this nasty state of mind that I'm in. And it just, it just didn't happen. And here's the beauty of God's Word. Man, I love the Bible so much. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I love it so much. It's because when you look in Scripture... Some of the people that we look at as being heroes of the faith, those people that we look up to, they still had bouts, seasons of being depressed and being discouraged and not dealing with stress very well. How about Job? Anybody ever heard of Job? Um, They say, you know, people that are a lot smarter than me say that Job was probably the first book in the Bible that was written. I mean, I'm just saying and you know what? It's all about suffering. Yay! Right? You want to go home and start a devotion on Job today, right? 
I'm sure. I remember that in really the middle of the, of the greatest sea of despair that I was in, a, a lady, a young girl, sweetest girl, I mean, Lord, she walked like Jesus, you know? One of those people. And she wasn't judgmental or harsh, and she came to my house, and she said, Pastor, God just laid it on my heart for me to bring you a book. The book was, I'm not kidding you, it was about that thick, and it was the book of Job. And I remember looking at her saying, I don't want it. I mean, there's like 42 chapters. There's like a half a good one. I mean, I don't, I don't want no book on Job. Is that, is, that a, is that somehow telling me things that are to come? Oh, Job. Well, the story starts with Job being a rich, healthy, blessed man who was blameless and upright. He had a great start. Then one day, it all, he, it all falls apart. He loses everything. Literally, I'm not kidding you. When I say he loses everything, he lost it all. The death of his children. Are y'all with me? He lost everything. It's not a fairy tale. This is a real story. So there's like 42 chapters. In verse 30, I want, I want to show you what he says as he's reflected on his life. So this is over half of the book. And here's how he feels in chapter 30. He says, and now my life seeps away. He says, depression haunts my days. At night, my bones are filled with pain, which gnaws at me relentlessly. He says, you know what? I cry out to you, God. I cry out, but you don't answer. Anybody, anybody feel like that? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just saying I got mine up. And then, you know, it's, it's bad enough that you think you're praying and that God's not listening. But then he says this, I stand before you. I stand before you. And you know what? You don't even acknowledge I'm there. Like, you don't even look at me. Like, God, I'm on my face before you, and I'm pouring out my soul to you. And, God, it's like you're totally ignoring me. It's like you don't see me. You're not concerned with me. Folks, this is in the Bible. Y'all with me? And then he says, watch, you throw me into a whirlwind. So who's he blaming for the mess that he's in? Now we want to go, hey, whoa, 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 Job, dude, it wasn't God. He felt like it was. He said, you throw me into a whirlwind and you destroy me in the storm and, and I know that you're sending me to my death, the destination of all who live. I mean, is that depressing or what? But that's how somebody that walked through the doors this morning, that's how you feel. And you feel like that you've been praying and you've been crying out to God and you've been begging in your despair and he hasn't been listening. And you feel like that you've stood before him and, and you've, you've looked up to heaven and you feel like that he's totally ignoring you and not paying you any attention at all. And then there's Elijah. Well, he was a mess, wasn't he? I mean, he stands down 800 false prophets of Baal. Calls down fire from heaven. It's pretty awesome. And I'm just saying, it's like one, one against 80. I was thinking he's on steroids. I mean, he's a big guy. He's, got, he's a bad man, is he not? Steroids probably wasn't the best thing to say right there, was it? Are y'all with me? So he trusts in God, and God works on his behalf. And, and one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, God performs. It's It's awesome. And then all of a sudden, he's all alone, and he's depressed, and he wants to die. 1 Kings 19, now Ahab told 
Jezebel everything Elijah had done and now how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. I told you, he's a bad man. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me bit ever so severely if by this time tomorrow you ain't like all of them, dead. And so the great man of faith that he was stood up and said, never. Nope, it says he was afraid and he ran for his life. And if, if you, like, read that with fresh eyes, don't you want to say, whoa, 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 hang on, hang whoa, 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 Elijah, what happened, buddy? Like, what, I mean, like, so what happened between this verse? There must be some filler stuff we lost. I mean, did we miss something? So, like, you stood, and, and, and you know, and you stood down 800 prophets of Baal, and what happened? He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. How don't we talk about that in church? He, he prayed that he might die. And he said, I've had enough, Lord. And I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I just wonder if God would have said, really? Like, Really? Like, I haven't been present in your life. I mean, you didn't see a miracle, like a miracle of all miracles? He said, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And that's on the heels of one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? And then there's David, a man after God's own heart, who slays the giant and says, 1 Samuel 17, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Huh! Who is this man that thinks that he should defy the armies of the living God? And he could, you know what, he could feel like that because he knew that God had been with him just as a little pimple-faced, teenage, knobby-kneed, skinny little run of a boy when he was out tending sheep and, and how that God had gave him the power to, to defeat the lion and the bear and he was able to do all these supernatural things. And so, you know what, it is surely that he stands now to think, well, this giant is nothing. But let me give you the words of King David. Psalm 6, as he struggles through despair. And if you'll just read the Psalms, you know what you'll learn? Is that sometimes he was just struggling over his own sin. With guilt and shame. Psalm 6, verse 6, he said, I'm worn out from sobbing. I mean, I, I am worn out. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision, there's, man, maybe we'll go back sometime and just settle here in this one verse. My vision is, is blurred by grief. I can't, I can't even see clearly anymore. Things that are clear to everybody else, I can't, I can't see. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. And then Psalm 22, boy, this is familiar, isn't it? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And then there's Jeremiah. There's a book of the Old Testament. He has a book named after him, Jeremiah. Uh, he's, he's awesome, uh, but he's known, he's known as the weeping prophet. And I don't think there's anything wrong with shedding a few tears. Can I get an amen? 
In fact, um, several years ago, somebody bought me a sign that reads like this. They thought they were so funny. <laughs> KC. And I got to be honest, you know, I, I really don't mind that at all. I don't mind shedding tears. But I have to be honest, I'd rather have been known as the strong preacher, the bold pastor, rather than the weeping preacher. That somehow just doesn't have a ring to it, you know what I'm saying? And then one last one. Psalm 88 was written by a guy by the name of Heman. And uh, he writes these words. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is, is it's full of troubles. And death, he says, death draws near. I'm as good as dead. Like a strong man with no strength left. But this is the Bible, right? And so, like, if we trace a lot of these stories, there's good stuff in the end, right? I mean, we all, we know all's well that ends well, right? And so if we just hang on long enough, we know that everything's going to be okay. Hebrews 11, have you ever read the Hebrews 11? It's called the roll call of faith. And by faith, each of these people walk with God and they won until you get to one particular area, one particular group of people. And by faith, they died. It's not a lift you up kind of passage. God didn't swoop down and rescue them. They died for their faith. So let's look at the conclusion. Oh, Heman, he says, verse 13, Oh, Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. Oh, Lord, why do you reject me? Why, why have you turned your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your, hmm, your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors. I mean, he, he's saying, God, you're the one that's done this to me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. Now, that's not the way you want to end, is it? But that's why I love the Bible so much. I just wanted you to know, I wanted you to be able to see that, that the greatest men in the Bible are heroes of the faith. I, I just wanted you to be able to see that they struggled, that they struggled at times, that they struggled so deeply with depression that at times they despaired even of life. That's what the Apostle Paul in the, in the New Testament says. We could have gone to the New Testament and we could have shown you the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who's given credit for writing maybe 13 books of the New Testament. And there was a time in his life when he was so low, he said, I despaired even of life. I think the message sometimes in church is that you just need more God. Well, of course we do. That's stupid. Don't you think? No matter how much of God that you get, no matter how close you get to Jesus, let me just tell you something. The closer you get, the closer you want to be. 
I'm just saying. I'm not kidding you. That's the way it's been for me. The closer that I get to him, the, the more that I know him, the, the, the longer that we walk together, the sweeter that he grows. And I'm not kidding you. No matter how close, it's never close enough. And you don't get arrogant. You don't say, well, I've got me enough, Jesus. Woo, look at me. I mean, I'm a man of God. You know what? You, you get more humble as you walk with God. And the longer that you're with him, you just want to get closer and closer and closer. I used to say this all the time. I want to be so close to Jesus that I feel like he has me in his lap and I can feel the warmth of his breath on my face. Of course we need more of Jesus. But you might need more sleep too. See, there's one thing about worry, there's one thing about anxiety, there's one thing about depression is that it will rob you, it will rob you of your sleep. And, and you can talk to doctors, talk to people that are smarter than me, but eventually sleep depravity will, will wreak havoc on your physical health. And it's like a snowball that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, and maybe you just need more sleep, maybe you need a better diet. Some of y'all thinking, what? Like, you know, quit preaching and went to meddling. Why do we got to talk about food? Because you know what? I believe food's a big deal. I really, really do. I, I know what my body, I know how my body reacts to sugar. I just know how it reacts. And I know that physically my knees hurt. And, and I've done this several times over the last four years that, uh, you know, that I've tried to be on a healthy plan. And, and I've, like anybody else, kind of fall off the plan. Are you kidding me? I jumped off the truck. Head first into a deep sea of sugar. It was awesome. And I felt really good until physically my knees were hurting. My hips started to hurt. I thought, what am I doing? And then I've noticed how sugar affects me mentally. And then suddenly I'm struggling and I'm going, wow, you know what? I just noticed that this got worse after I jumped in the deep end of the sugar pool. Maybe you need better friends. Probably don't want to look now. You know, you can say, it's your fault. I knew it the whole time. But sometimes, you know what? You are. You're just a reflection of your friends. So if your friends are struggling, if they're far from God, if they have no answers, if they're still looking for everything that they can find through everything else the world has to offer, and you wonder why you struggle with loneliness, that's probably the reason why. I've never understood why everybody doesn't want to be a part of a growth group. I, re I really don't. I, don't. I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that. And so you know what? You talk about I feel lonely and all alone. No wonder you do because you know what? You're lonely and all alone. So why wouldn't you want to connect with a few other people? And I don't just mean that you're in this little sweet little Bible study. It's not what I'm talking about. Of course you're going to be in a Bible study. But when you can begin to open up and talk about I'm struggling with depression and somebody else can say, you know what? I've been there too. Let me, let me tell you some of the things that I've done. Y'all with me? I'm just trying to drive home the point that I wrote to healing can sometimes come in different ways, different avenues. So what do you do when you're sinking and you can't get up? You know, the first crowd didn't laugh either. I just thought that was an awesome line. What do you do when your mind is unhealthy? What do you do when you're sinking in the sea of despair? I want to close by giving you two things, two things that I've done when I was at the very worst point in my life. First one, simply this. Pray consistently and hold on. Pray consistently and hold on. Heman said in Psalm 88, O Lord, I cried out to you. I will keep on. 
I'm going to keep on pleading day by day. David, Psalm 6, I'm worn out from sobbing. You know what? I'm worn out, but I'm, you know what? I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep coming before you. And that's exactly what I did. Now, I've got to be honest. My prayers aren't necessarily the kinds of prayers that I think you should pray. And I hope that this doesn't make you think less of me, but let me just say, I remember one time in particular um, when Karen and I were in seminary and we were living beside the church in a little trailer. And beside that little trailer was a, the church cemetery. That's not the most inspiring place to live. It's beside a cemetery. I remember being so angry at God. And I remember being out in that cemetery. And I was taking rocks and throwing them at the, you know, the, the tombstones. And I thought, what, what am I throwing rocks at them for? <laughs> They're dead. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That didn't sound good, did it? Anyway, I, said, I remember being so angry. And, I mean, I was cussing like a sailor. I'm telling you. And then it was like Holy Spirit spoke, and he said, boy, look at where you are. I mean, you were in the cemetery. So I backed up and shut up for a little while. But I kept on praying. Second thing I've always tried to do. I've always stayed in his word. And then I would cling to his promises. I would cling to them. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace. Huh. What kind of peace? Perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast. And you know literally what that means, that word steadfast. It's a Hebrew word that literally means to rest on, to lean into, to put your weight into. And you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And he said perfect peace. He didn't say occasional peace when everything's going the way you want it. He didn't say momentary peace, you know, when you just feel good in the moment. He didn't say circumstantial peace. He said perfect peace. And so here's what I've done over the years. At my lowest point, I, I, remember, I remember taking Joshua 1.9. I remember writing it down on an index card. And I remember I took, I took one of those index cards and I put it in a baggie and, and I sealed it up and I, I taped it to the shower wall and I thought every day when I take a shower, God, I've got to be reminded. I took that same verse and I wrote it on another index card and I put it on the refrigerator because I knew I'm going there every day. And I, I had to be reminded of his truth because sometimes the devil would be messing with me and I would think that God is so far away and he's not listening and I'm before you, God, and you don't even, you don't even see me. You're ignoring me. And I would, read, I would read that verse and I would think, but he's not ignoring me. He's not ignoring me. He's right here. Even when I don't see him, when I can't trace his hand, even some days when I know if I can't, I'm not sure that I can trust his heart. Here's the truth of your word. I can trust you. I put it, I put it in my car. I put it in books. I, I would take that verse. I'd put it everywhere that I could possibly put it. That's why I have such a love for the Word because I know that at the end of the day, I can trust Him. He's never failed me. He's never lied to me. And if He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I'll be like a friend that will stick closer than a brother. Yeah, I'm sharing with you some of my verses. 
And he's proved to me that he's faithful. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you feel, maybe you feel a heaviness, a weight. Maybe if you just be honest right now, you just have to admit that you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe you've been scared to death that somebody would find out. Listen, you need to have a group of people around you that are safe, God-fearing, Jesus-loving people that you can share how you feel. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety, constant stress. Maybe you've believed a lie. So maybe that's why you're isolated and alone is somehow you just believe the myth that, you know what, good Christians shouldn't struggle. Hopefully, I've been able to, to share with you some truth today. And say, if you're struggling, guess what? You're in pretty good company. The people that we look at as heroes in God's Word are people that struggled, just like we struggled. I've tried to give you a couple tools just to say, you know what, you've got to continue to pray relentlessly and hold on and not give up. You've got to be in His Word. You've got to take that Word even when you don't believe it. You've got to hang on to it. You gotta, sometimes I would grit my teeth and shake my fist and say, this is, you promised. And He would smile and He would, Son, I'm right here. I haven't left you. We're going to get through this. And I'll tell you what I found is that God didn't always change my circumstances, but what He did in every single case is He changed me. He changed me. So if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you're just struggling, every head's bowed and every eye's closed. If that's you, I want to pray for you right now. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Wow. Y'all look up here at me just, just for a second. I, I wish that you could just see all the hands. There's, there's so many broken people all around you that are struggling. And if you just lifted up your hand, please look at me. You're not alone. You are not alone. If you'll hang with me over the next few weeks, I just want, I want to try to give us some hope through His Word, to give us some hope, to give you something to hang on to. Now listen, it very well could mean that you need to see a doctor. It could. One of the things that people, believe it or not, I'm a pastor, and people come to see me, and when I see that they're really struggling, they're overwhelmed with depression, oftentimes what I do is say, you know what, we got to get you an appointment with a doctor. Let's see what's going on medically with you. Let's find out, is, is there some type of chemical imbalance? Because if you're struggling, you know what? Mental health's not static. And so maybe you've never struggled before. And you think, well, how am I struggling now? Maybe it's because of that traumatic event, that thing that's gone on. And so maybe that has just perpetuated this thing inside of you. And maybe you need to see a doctor. So take an action step this week. Make an appointment. Go see a doctor. Maybe, maybe you need to see a counselor. If that's what you need to do, then, then we'll help you to the best of our ability. We'll help you find a counselor. 
Maybe you see, need to see a nutritionist. I know, that stinks. Who wants to hear that, right? Acts from the pit of hell. That ain't God. Maybe, maybe you need to think about, you know what? What am I putting into my body? Whatever you need to do, take an action step. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe your problem is, you know what? You have seen a doctor. Maybe you've been in therapy for a long time. Maybe you've been taking medication. And I'm not saying that you don't need to be on medication. But maybe the problem is something that can't be fixed with a pill. Maybe part of it. Is it possible that part of it is just what the nastiness of what sin has done to your life? Are y'all with me? And so maybe secular counseling, they don't know what they do to try to alleviate, somehow to alleviate the guilt. And maybe God's saying, no, you should feel guilty. But listen to me, look at me. God's crazy about you and he provided a way. As hard as this is to understand and comprehend, the God, the creator of the universe is crazy about you and what he wants is to be in a relationship with you. And you're thinking, messed up, crazy me? Yeah. Yep, messed up crazy you. And so you know what? So God sent his son, and his son loves you so much that he willingly went to the cross to give his life, to shed his blood, to offer that as a forgiveness of sin. I'm paying the payment. He was raised on the third day, and he's alive. And what God wants is to step into your life and to bring some freedom from the sin bondage of sin, the depth of sin. That doesn't come by just a little prayer. It comes by the intention of the heart. That's all I'm saying. Do you start a prayer? Of course you do. But is it more than that? It's the intention of the heart that says, God, I want to fully surrender to you. I messed up. I need you. I confess that I need you. I'm going to spend the rest of my day following you. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe you just pray a simple prayer like, like this. Maybe you just say, Lord, I'm a mess. I need you. Please forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. And I know a lot of the junk that I feel right now, I brought on my own self. So I'm just asking that you forgive me you cleanse me and to the best of my ability I want to fully surrender my life to you thank you for your love Lord thank you for the truth of your word thank you Lord for how your word encourages us Lord and lifts us up and gives us hope we love you it's in your sweet name we pray